We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved that many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And have we, we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue, virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to fill the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to God that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Abraham Lincoln, the National Day of Prayer Proclamation from 1863. Um, I don't know about you, but the more I read the words of Lincoln, especially during this time, the more timeless I find them to be and appropriate for the hour in which we live. Last week, I spent some time reflecting with, with you again on Second Chronicles 7.14, for if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Um, and as I prayed and reflected on that verse uh, over this past week again, uh, to me, it seemed to me there was a, a turning point in that verse, as I shared with you last week, about turning from our wicked ways. And I don't know about you, but that, I think, for many of us, and I know for me, can sometimes be the most difficult part in our lives, uh, to actually turn from sin or uh, evil practices or struggle in our lives that we've been doing for a number of years, because it's a habit. And habits are powerful things, especially these patterns of darkness. And so there's a, a couple of words that stood out to me uh, from that verse uh, in Second Chronicles, uh, one being humility and the other the importance of confession. I think the encouragement for us to humble ourselves before God as we hear from Abraham Lincoln in this proclamation as well is a very good place to start that it's important for you and I to humble ourselves before God and acknowledge before him that we need his grace, uh, we need to surrender before him in order to walk in a way that is new and uh, empowered by him. You know, it's said in our second reading today that those who by the spirit put the deeds of the flesh to death shall live. And that, I think, is a very important part of our scripture today because I found in my own life that unless I invite the Holy Spirit to be part of the sanctification of my life and helping to me move in a new direction, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Maybe you're like me. I've tried everything but the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and it just doesn't work. But when I invite the Holy Spirit to be present and am open, open to the process of change over time, it's a wonderful difference that occurs. Uh, this repenting or turning away from sin uh, for us, again, as I've mentioned, can be hard. It almost seems impossible. I know there have been times in my life, and I'm sure there have been in your life as well, where you have tried and tried and tried over a period of years to make that turn, and you just haven't been able to. 
You might even have gotten halfway, and it just seems to pull you right back in like a magnet. And at that point in your life, you may have become discouraged and just resign yourself to the fact that, you know what, there's no way I'm going to be able to overcome this. And I just want to uh, remind you for yourself and for myself, yes, there's no way you can overcome it. There's no way I can overcome it, but by God's grace and God's spirit, we can. It's just pressing more deeply into that reality. And so what I want to share with us is a very simple thought, and that is simply this. There can be areas in our lives that I would characterize as strongholds. Those are those areas of sin or struggle or anger, unforgiveness, whatever they might be for you. There are areas of strongholds in our life that are very powerful, and they kind of have a hold on us, almost like we're in a prison cell and we can't get out. And that's the reason why we keep getting sucked back into it, is because it's such a powerful presence in our lives. Um, And so, you know, I've often, I've always held that a believer cannot be possessed by evil uh, because they have the Holy Spirit in their lives, but they certainly can have strongholds. There certainly can be areas in a believer's life that just have a hold of them, uh, areas of sin, areas of darkness, areas of evil, um, that they try to break free from, but they've been unable to. And so that's what I would characterize as a stronghold, a stronghold in a person's life. And when you look at a stronghold in the scripture, it's actually a military term meaning fortified or strong-walled. So uh, the word in scripture of stronghold carries the idea of something that is fortified, something that's like a military base. I don't know how many of you were in the military, but I was, and whenever I went on to a base, especially when we are at a certain lockdown uh, level because of some kind of terrorist act that occurred or whatever, and you had the armed sentries and everything, the, the base would become even more fortified and ready for a possible attack. And that's what a stronghold is in the life of the believer. Um, it's, it's almost like a military garrison of evil that's hard to break into, that's hard to overcome. That's why you feel like it has a hold of you because on some level it does. Um, but, but don't give up because there's hope here. Um, in 2 Corinthians 10.4, and this might be another scripture you want to write down in, in addition to 2 Chronicles 7.14. Again, 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So again, in the second letter to the Corinthians, what Paul is sharing with us is that the weapons we use to fight our spiritual battles with are powerful weapons. They're powerful to the point that they can demolish strongholds. Not only strongholds in your own life, but it talks also in the scripture about principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places that we can use prayer and engage them in and bring them down by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit. Um, And so that's important for us to remember. It says, on the contrary, these weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Demolish means to razz to the ground, to get rid of them, to defeat them. And how do you know that you have defeated a stronghold in your life when when it no longer has a hold of you? (laughs) It's not real complicated. It's when you're finally free. 
Now, there might be moments where you're, you'll feel gradually more and more increasing freedom, uh, and it's a process, but ultimately, when a stronghold is demolished in your life is when you're free from it totally and completely. Now, the weapons uh, that we can use in this spiritual warfare, they're talked about in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 6. I'm not, you're going to be glad I'm not going to go through all these, those texts today, but I'm just going to focus in on some thematic areas. The first uh, weapon that is, I believe is most important in our warfare against strongholds in our lives and in this world, spiritual forces of wickedness that are committed to the destruction of humanity and your life in every way, shape, and form. The most important weapon that we have is, of course, our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and also our relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a story in the New Testament of some people that were following along with the disciples, and they noticed that they had the ability to cast demons out of other people. And these people were thinking to themselves, I'd like to have that power too. And so they kind of listened to what Paul and Peter were doing, and then they went and tried it on their own. And they came upon this one person who was demon-possessed, and they said, uh, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave, which is exactly what Paul and Peter said. But the demon replied to them, I know Paul and Peter, but I don't know you. Meaning simply that they, weren't, they hadn't received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they weren't covered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that demoniac proceeded to, let's just say, give them a real beating. And so this identification with Jesus Christ, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit, is something that the, the spiritual realm sees very clearly. Even though at times you may not be aware of it, they see it very clearly. And so the Holy Spirit is incredibly important. Uh, Acts 2 Uh, We read about the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. Jesus said to his disciples after they saw him ascended, he said to them, wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit before you go out and witness about me. And just as much as the early disciples needed the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in this moment like never before. Again, I refer you to our second lesson today about the flesh and the spirit. But if you by the spirit overcome the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. So the Holy Spirit is key in this process of making the turn from our wickedness to what the Lord would have for us. The next important weapon that we have is the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 is really a great verse that talks about this power in our lives. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing uh, soul from spirit, joint from marrow. Uh, It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden. So it talks about the reality of the power of God's word. And very simply, if you were to hold up your Bible... You could very easily say, easily say, based on Hebrews 4 and Ephesians 6, that this is the sword. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. In fact, as you look at the armor of God in Ephesians, it talks about many different parts of the armor. Uh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. The only offensive weapon that's talked about in Ephesians 6 is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. You remember when Jesus and Satan were going back and forth in the wilderness during the temptation, what did Jesus quote to him? The word of God. 
That's what you and I need to do as well. And we need to allow God's word. We need to be in this word and we need to be reading it. We need to memorize it. And we need to allow it to pierce our spirit to the very depths of who we are, to bring light in terms of why is it we can't make the turn for wickedness and what is it exactly that still has a hold of us that we might be healed fully and completely and be set free. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Then we have prayer. Prayer is very important as well. If you look at Daniel 10, Daniel was busy engaging in a spiritual battle with a demon that was called the Prince of Persia. This was actually in Iraq of that day, modern-day Iraq, uh, Babylon. And so he was busy engaging in spiritual warfare with this demon, the Prince of Persia. Uh, God had sent Gabriel to give divine revelation to Daniel about a certain spiritual thing that was going on to preserve the people of Israel. But Gabriel couldn't break through the Prince of Persia And the reason why was because there was spiritual warfare that was going on. And after 21 days of prayer and fasting by Daniel, the angel Gabriel was was then able to get through and give the divine word to Daniel that he needed to hear. Our prayers are incredibly important in this hour. You and I need to be praying that God's angels would come upon the earth bringing healing and deliverance and grace to our cities and to our lives, bringing peace and reconciliation instead of hatred and division, bringing divine revelation that God might speak to us about the next steps we need to take, bringing divine deliverance that we might be set free to move in the things that God would have us move in. This book isn't a collection of fairy tales. It isn't a collection of myths. It isn't a collection of things that happened with godly people a long time ago that will not happen in our lives today. It is a collection of divine revelation of human beings, men and women that walked with God that are examples to us of how we're going to walk out our spiritual lives as well. uh, Weapons, Holy Spirit, the Bible, prayer, and finally, the church. Acts 4.31, when John and Peter were imprisoned by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees of their day because they were busy proclaiming about Jesus having risen from the dead, they asked them by what authority they did this. And they said, we do this by the authority of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. They admonished the, the apostles at that point to no longer speak the name of Jesus. And before the, the apostles left, they said, Well, we'll leave it up to you about what we should do, but it is better for us to obey God rather than man. And then when they left, of course, they kept on speaking about Jesus. (laughs) And people were coming to Christ, and there was a real revival that was going on. And it said when they came back to the gathering of the disciples, and they began to pray that they would have even more boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, After they had just been warned by the secular authorities and the religious authorities not to do that, they were praying that God would give them more boldness to do this. Guess what happened? The place where they were praying was shaken. There was a holy earthquake. God shook that place. And then what happened immediately after that is they had a greater boldness to proclaim the the kingdom of God, and more and more people were coming to Christ because of it. 
So the weapons of our warfare are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. And if what I'm sharing with you right now in this moment is like, you know, Father Joe, this is really great, but I've never, ever heard this stuff before. You're really sounding kind of crazy to me, and I really haven't walked in this stuff before. I'm so glad that you're here today. And the reason why you're here today is you needed to hear this message. And what God is inviting you and me to do is to make the turn from the wickedness that has been a part of our lives, that he would hear our prayer, forgive our sin, and heal our land. And the healing of our land begins with the healing of the church. And the healing of the church begins with the healing of you. The healing of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The healing of your relationship of walking more fully in the light. The healing of allowing the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh in your life that you might live more fully into the things that God has for you in your life beyond, you, beyond what you could even begin to imagine. We need to begin to move in the turning point of this verse from strongholds of wickedness and evil to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of light. I promise you that at least for next week and maybe the next week, <laughs> I won't share about Second Chronicles 7.14 again. But I'm going to come back to it again. I'm going to keep coming back to it because that is the verse of this hour. And I just want to be an encouragement to you. I was reading just before I got in here about revival that is beginning to break forth. Of all places in Minneapolis, right in the area where George Floyd was murdered, there are people that are being baptized right in that area on the street in tubs they're bringing. They're hearing the gospel. The gospel is being proclaimed and people are coming to Jesus Christ. On Huntington Beach, uh, they're not allowed to meet in their churches. So what are they doing? They're meeting outside on the beach. <laughs> and, they're, um, and they're praying and people are coming there that wouldn't normally go to their church. Maybe it's because they're bored. Maybe it's because they're looking for something to do and they're coming to Jesus Christ. So I want to let you know that as we are praying, and have been praying over the past 11 years now, for repentance, for revival, it, some of us believe it is beginning to happen in our land. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I invite you to pray for me as I pray for you that we would humble ourselves before God continually that we would pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, that God would hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land.